Good morning. I want to welcome you again to Bull Street Baptist Church. We're so thankful that you're here. Today, if you've you've been with us for a while now, you you know that we have been going through the epistles of John. We're still in uh, 1 John, if you would. Uh, Today, we're in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. I want to say again to the church, thank you for trusting your elders to during this time of internment, I guess is what you want to call it. We thank you for uh, just putting your faith and trust in us to lead you. And, uh, and anyway, I just want to say thank you. So if you would, with that, please stand. Let's look at 1 John chapter 3, 11 through 24. I need to put my eyes on. <clears throat> Starting in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and, who, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Please pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, we come to you humbly. We come to you uh, knowing that we are broken vessels. We come to you knowing that those cracks in our broken vessels are filled with Christ's blood and his righteousness. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, we pray that you would intercede for us, that you would meet us here, and that you would convict those who need convicting. Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. What John wants us to see in this morning are four different levels of social humanity. Let's imagine, and I'm going to ask you to imagine again. I did that last time, remember? Let's imagine we have a four-foot stepladder up here today, though. And on this four-foot stepladder, we have four rungs on it. 
And each one of these rungs is, a sim is symbolic of four different levels of relational humanity. In today's scripture passage, John wants his readers to know how humanity relates to one another. And what do I mean by that? I mean, how do we relate to one another? How does the human being, how does God's uh, people relate to one another? So today, <laughs> today we have three points representing four levels of relational humanity. And you're going, what? So number one, we're going to look at 11 through 15, hate kills. Hate kills. Number two, we're going to look at love nourishes, 16 through 18. And then number three, we're going to look at how and why we should know the difference, verses 19 through 24. So if you would, 11 through 15. We're going to start at the bottom rung of the ladder. We find the relational humanity that drives the news cycles of today. It's the level where TV shows such as murder mysteries and unsolved murder shows are written from. It's the level where news stations get the highest Nielsen ratings. This level sells the most advertisement. This level is where people find themselves most intrigued. This level has its origins way back in the book of Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 through 16, we know the story. It's the story of Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve knew one another and had a son and named him Cain. Without any time lapse being discussed in scripture, they had another son and named him Abel. Le uh, leading some scholars to speculate that, that they may have been twins, but scripture really doesn't say like it does when twins are born. Example being Jacob and Esau. So we'll speculate that they were close in age, whether minutes apart or months apart, we're not sure. But over a period of time, God called them to bring an offering to him. Cain was a tiller of the ground, a farmer. Abel was a keeper of sheep, a rancher. And they brought their offerings to God, representing the first worship service. So we have the first um, conceived son, the second conceived son, and the first worship service. Cain brought God a basket of fruit, and Abel brought the firstborn of the flock, of his flock, along with its fat, symbolizing the best of his flock. And God was pleased with Abel's offering and displeased with Cain's. God rebukes Cain, but it's important to know that God gave Cain a way out. As a matter of fact, if you'll look in verse 4, I don't know if you've turned there or not, verses 6 and 7, it says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Remember that last sentence. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The so so Cain, Cain becomes jealous, which in turn led to hatred, which led to Cain murdering his own brother, 
that led him to lie to God, which led him being cursed by God, which led to Cain becoming a vagabond and marked in some fashion so the people would know who he is and leave him alone. That's how murder entered humanity. The first conceived son killing the second conceived son immediately following the first worship service to God. One of the most asked questions in today's society as we see and watch on TV is what was the motive? Or the motive has, not, has yet to be determined. In verse 12 back in chapter 3 of John, the first John, the motive is this. The motive is, is that there was no motive. It simply says that um, his deeds were evil. Sin and disobedience always has its consequences. Abel's deeds were righteous. So if you live a life dedicated and sold out to God, don't be surprised, as th verse 13 says, the world hates you. This is the humanity of Cain. And it's the bottom rung of the relational humanity ladder. The second rung of the ladder from the bottom is, from, is, is mostly the same as the bottom rung with one exception, the very act of taking another's life. We won't find TV shows based on just hatred. We will find counseling shows that do. Most unsaved people don't consider themselves that bad or at least bad enough to deserve, to deserve hell. They will even say things like, well, I haven't killed anyone, so I'm not that bad. So that's their benchmark, murder. They'll do anything else, but they won't kill nobody. They don't realize that in God's eyes, pure hatred is the same as murder, and if left unchecked, it can lead to murder and usually murder of oneself. We are forced to ask ourselves a question, do I find myself being a hater? A hater against God's people? A hater against what I hear on Sunday mornings at church? A hater against the very ideal of loving someone more than I love myself? John's not saying that a murderer or a hater cannot become a believer. We should all be thankful for that because we've all murdered by our hate at one time or another. And you can say amen. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell, hell of fire. That's found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. What John is saying is that a murderer and a hater cannot continue to murder and hate and call themselves a Christian or a follower of Christ. These two bottom rungs of the ladder are totally unchristian, and it just cannot be so. In reference, look at verse 4 of chapter 3. Uh, we, we, we discussed it last week. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. In verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning 
For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, we've discussed this before. Do we, do we still have that, that sin nature that we struggle with? Of course we do. We have a sin nature that will be our struggle until the day that we meet Jesus face to face. But we are not to give in to that sin nature. We're not to give in to the, the fact of the hate, uh, hating one another. So what, what uh, so let's look on verse 16 through 18. Let me read this if you'll allow me. says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Everyone knows and can recite John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, King James. This is God showing his love to, humility, uh, uh, to humanity, I'm sorry. This is God showing his love to humanity. But can you recite 1 John three sixteen? Look at it one more time. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 1 John 3.16 is an explanation of what God's love looks like fully manifested in the lives of God's children. It's how humanity should show God's love to one another. And with the recent things that happened yesterday in Israel, they are even uh, making my next little point um, kind of come to life a little bit more. But on September the 11th, 2001, we experienced the most horrific act of hatred that could be imagined. This hatred led to the murder of 2,977 people of the United States and 19 hijackers totaling 2,996 people. This act of hatred leading to murder sparked something else as well. It sparked a high sense of putting others above themselves. As thousands, even millions, started putting into practice this verse, joining the military or volunteering in whatever capacity that they could, all for a common good. And that's what we'll see that will be happening in Israel in the days to come. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. He willingly laid down his life so that whosoever believes in him would have everlasting eternal life. The real question here is, do we love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ so much so that we are willing to lay down our lives for one another? And I would say, if not, why not? As we move on to the passage of Scripture, verse 17, we'll see that while John shows us what true Christian love should look like in verse 16, verse 17 tells us that most people don't need someone to die for them. 
especially here in the United States or in the Western civilization. They need someone to help them in the nasty now and now. Someone to help them in their daily life. This is the third rung from the bottom. It's where many Christians may find themselves if they would be perfectly honest. This is the level of indifference, the don't care level, the level that says I have it and I'm keeping it. Many Christians suffer with this disease. It may be even called the Scrooge syndrome. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10? You remember that story? We won't turn there. Um, the Samaritan, nobody else would help this, this poor fellow. The Samaritan came along and helped him. And at the end of it, Jesus was asked, who was the neighbor in this scenario? What did Jesus do? He turned right around and said, he asked the question back, who was found to be neighborly in this scenario? Is there a difference? You bet there's a difference. It doesn't always pertain to money. He's not always referring to money when it says helping one another. It's also, it also referring to our time as well as our talents. Sometimes God puts people in our life, get this, okay? Sometimes God puts people in our life who need help and he expects us to help them however we're gifted to do. It could be just buying someone a meal who is hungry or helping someone who has found themselves at their worst hour of life to regain themselves. Paul wrote of this type of giving to others when he said, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the certainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18. The writer of Hebrews writes, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Hebrews 13, 16. James wrote, what good is it my brothers if someone says that he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If your brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. James 2, 14 through 17. If we want to experience and enjoy the love of God in our own hearts, we must love others, even to the point of sacrifice. You may ask, what do I mean by that? Well, it may cost you something. Time usually is the main cost. It takes time to help those who need help. Being indifferent to a brother's need robs those who need help along with ourselves. In other words, we risk being blessed and being a blessing. We risk being blessed and being a blessing. John finishes the thought by saying, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, verse 18. There's an old Texas saying that still stands true today. 
Put your money where your mouth is. That is what God has called us to do. Now the, the title of the message today is, How's Your Heart? That's not a normal greeting, right? You don't come up to say, somebody and say, how you doing? I'm Doug Gifford, how's your heart? We don't do that, right? So let's examine our heart. Verses 19 through 24. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. For, and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that, we, that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So love and hate are verbs, they're action words, and are on the complete opposite ends of the humanity spectrum. Love, hate. You may have already noticed that John uses contrasting words in, in this epistle. Words like live and die, obey and disobey, darkness and light, children of the devil and children of God. And there are many more. In this last section of scripture, John talks of a condemning heart, which is where some Christians find themselves today as well. They find themselves living in the past and not quite understanding God's forgiveness, mainly because they haven't fully forgiven themselves. I've used the illustration before of the reason there's a small rearview mirror in your vehicle and a huge windshield. And it's because what's in front of us and where we're going is so much more important than where we've been. And that's, every one of us can learn from that. <clears throat> the same is true in our Christian walk with God. We're not to live in the past. We're to break those strongholds of our past life and live an abundant, oh, I'm sorry, obedient, fulfilled new life and abundant as well. A life given to God because of the sustaining work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. You've heard it said, well, just trust your heart. Well, remember what Jeremiah said about the heart? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. So the heart can, can deceive us into thinking that we're no good and unworthy. But God is greater than our heart and knows everything in verse 20 of today's scripture. <clears throat> but if our heart doesn't deceive us or condemn us and we keep God's commandments and do what pleases him, verses 21 and 22 says uh, that because of the confidence that we have in God, our prayer life will be blessed. Think of it like this. No one goes down to the local prison to ask a prisoner who has committed murder and is unrepentant of his actions to pray for him. 
Has anybody in here done that? Um, I'm, I'm saying no. No, we go to the most godly Christ followers that we know and ask them to pray for us because God has blessed them tremendously for their faithfulness and their selfish, selfless, selfless abiding in Christ. John ends this section of scripture by bookending verses 11 and verses 23 and 24. Look at 11 with me again. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. And look at 23 and 24 again with me. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of the son of Jesus Christ, his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This, my fellow Christians, is the top rung of the social humanity ladder, the top level of how a Christ follower should live. We are to live a life pleasing to God, which in turn causes us to love one another gladly. Let me repeat that. We are to live a life pleasing to God, which in turn causes us to love one another gladly. This is the level where we find that our greatest joy comes from. This is where the true meaning of abiding in God is witnessed because we know God abides in us. It's where we enjoy an abundant, fulfilled prayer life. It's where the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit do the work in a believer to give them the confidence that they truly are born again. So as we put some application and conclude today, there are four levels of which a person can choose to live. If a person chooses to live at the bottom two levels and does not repent of their sin, they will find themselves in everlasting torment separated from the creator God for eternity. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. If this sounds like where you're at, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And it guarantees that if you come and speak to someone today, you can settle this issue once and for all. God will save you. The third level from the bottom is the level of indifference. It's the level where some born-again believers choose to live. The problem with this level is there are so many blessings lost at this level. Will you repent and ask God to change your heart to a caring, loving, and giving heart? And then last of all, God wants all of his children to live on the top rung of life. The top rung of life. I just love the way that sounds. Where his favor resides, the life where joy and liberty and a life of answered prayer are promised. This level will give you confidence and courage in spite of the difficulties of life. So we ask you today, how's your heart? Let's pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come. Lord, we thank you for your word and how it convicts. Lord, we, we, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who is meeting with us here to now and, and convicting hearts as we speak. Lord, so I pray that the devil doesn't come and snatch that conviction away from them as the seed grown on, uh, tossed on rocky soil. Lord, I pray that they would seek and seek you first in, uh, in all of your righteousness. Lord, I pray that they would come, if someone's here today and doesn't know you as their personal Savior, that they would come today and they would say, I need Christ. I need to become a follower of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless the services. I pray that you would um, be honored and glorified in all that we have said today. We pray that you and you alone uh, are the one that we recognize above everything. So, Lord, thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.